This podcast is brought to you by Shout Engine. In less than five minutes, you can start your own podcast for free with ShoutEngine.com. Again, it's late October, which means we are at SEMA at the at the Magnaflow booth. Once again, Magnaflow has set us up with this beautiful stage this year. We're not, we're, you know, we're not relegated to the back room. And uh, today, we've got Renegade Hybrids on the stage. How's it going? Uh, good. Hey, how are you, Chris? I am doing pretty well. It is uh, it is SEMA, so things have gone awry. Things have gone okay. I've met like a hundred people, about three of which I remember their names at this point. <laughs> it's typical. Um, and uh, we had some little uh, technical issues. You've got a background in audio engineering before you got into automotive. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. So something how the hell? I, something I did for thirty years. <laughs> how the hell did I? I mean, so you go from. I imagine, did you go to school for audio engineering? And I did. Yeah. You did? Okay. Yeah. So you go to school for that, and then you worked in radio for a while, you were saying, right? I did, absolutely. And then did you get into TV production at all? Or? Not really. A little tiny bit of CG, a little bit of post-production with uh, editing and things like that. But really, it's primarily, you know, I've got, I've got the, the voice for radio and the look for radio. Ah, don't so be so hard. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, not a problem. All right. So how the hell did you go from audio engineering to then ending up in automotive and building some of the craziest, like, hybrid Porsche kits I've ever seen? Well, you got to understand that if you don't ever want to work a day in your life, mm-hmm. you do what you love. And so what I did was just because of the fact that I was uh, down in L.A. as a disc jockey, as an audio engineer, working radio, working clubs, working every party under the sun, life was good. Rolling in the dough, I decided one day, because I was purchasing parts from a company called Renegade Hybrids, I said, you know what, I want to really honestly want to do this more. And so I became really good friends with the owners, uh, the previous owners of Renegade. And one day I said, hey, if you ever want to sell the company, let me know, I'll buy it. And they said, okay, cool. And so that was uh, almost 18 years ago. First thing I did is, is I wanted to move my happy tushy out of Vegas. I mean, I'm sorry, out of Southern California, out to Vegas, because of the fact that when you look at the marketing potential for Las Vegas and how quickly it's grown in the last 18 years, because anytime you say Vegas anywhere in the world, people know where it is, and people fly into the cheapest airport anywhere in the U.S. Oh yeah, McCarran, heavily subsidized all the time. Heavily subsidized. Yeah. Exactly. It's just it's phenomenal, and so because of that, it's just worked out really well. It was a good decision. So what? drew you to Renegade very early on because were you guys were they doing the Porsche kits any Porsche kits at that point absolutely the company's been around for 34 years okay and so the VA conversions are actually no new thing whatsoever and so what happened was is I started purchasing parts because I was breaking Porsches I was into the cars and quite frankly I just decided one day hey you know what the thing to do is to uh, uh, we'll, we'll say look for something besides the weakness of what Porsches uh, had to offer and no, no, no. They're, they're not all weak and just hard on cars. <laughs> well, let me get this right. So according to you, Porsches aren't perfect out of the factory? Uh, n- not exactly. Okay. Although the lightning bolts are about ready to strike me and people are going to come up and main me. And the, and the Porsche purist uh, squad that's sitting outside, they're ready to come in anytime. So. Well, we actually have Pat Long backstage to confront you right now. You know what? I mentored with him for two two days. Okay. And he actually digs what we do. So we're good. Yeah, yeah. We're good. No, that was actually, the best teaching I ever had on track, by the I way. I saw Pat 
two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when yeah. we were talking a little bit about some of the stuff that you guys were doing. I said we were going to have you on the show. Oh, very like, cool. I was like, is that verboten in your world? And he goes, yeah, I don't know. This stuff's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And there's a there's a few of the people that are out there that, uh, you know, once they get to know me and get to know our company and stuff like that and say, you know, it's, it's an alternative. It's not necessarily the thing that everybody wants to do. If you want to stay with the Porsche end of the purest spectrum, which, by the way, I'd love for you to ask me that question sometime. But uh, if you want to stay with that, then that's cool. But if you really want to do an alternative, if you really want to get down and wicked, if you want to have fun with it, you want to do it cheaply. And, I, I mean, I could do all of the bullet points and stuff like that. But the bottom line is, is the campaign, campaign speeches. Find me one thing. Find me one thing that's wrong with what we do. And I'll have a good argument. It may not necessarily be the right argument, but it'll be a good argument. I think the only argument that you have against putting a V8 in the back of a 911 is that CG goes up a little bit. It doesn't. It doesn't. All right. So since we've got the luxury of time in a podcast, Chris, this is going to be great. We do. All the naysayers are going to say, ah, this is terrible. This is terrible. Okay, let's take an LS. Let's put it in fully uh, prepared trim. You've got the AC compressor and the alternator down low. Let's take it and hold it from the center of the crank right there in the center and let's go ahead and do a tip test so we'll go ahead and tip the entire engine at 30 degrees now let's go ahead and do the same exact thing with an air-cooled engine or a water-cooled like a 996 or 997 engine we'll do the same tip test a lot of their accessories are up high a lot of the weight is up high in their Mm -hmm. engines even though the engine itself is down low and flat between the two they're almost identical i won't tell you exactly which one has the better cg because no one will believe me there but i'm telling you straight up they're almost identical so at that point even if one was slightly better than it's like so tiny that you wouldn't really notice that's exactly right actually the biggest complaint is when people turn around and they say oh your your chevy lumps weigh so much more you take a 996 engine you take an air-cooled 911 engine you take any of the you know the typical 911 engines that are out there all the way down to the two sevens and even before that Mm -hmm. the weight of those is actually the same weight as in the ls engines or within a, a, a minuscule amount well people forget that the cylinder heads and everything on the dual overhead cam motor are very very heavy sometimes i mean the ford guys know that obviously just because those heads have been massively and massive and, and expensive and heavy for a long long time but right. not too many people that are into this world i mean how many people before you went to work for renegade knew about tearing apart a porsche engine <laughs> they still don't <laughs> whereas at least half the people that are here today have torn apart a uh, small block of some sort whether it was a gm or a ford product yeah absolutely and the aftermarket industry supports it all you got to do is look around it's unbelievable how much aftermarket industry supports the ls platform for, for that matter, any of the V8 platform. But the other thing that a lot of people forget is, is the actual architecture of a V8 versus a flat six. Now, a flat six, okay, great engine. I'm not going to poop with the engine. I'm not going to sit there and badmouth it or anything like that. But you look at a V8, and if you factor in a flat six, the cylinder walls of a flat six share the mass of supporting that cylinder. Mm-hmm. And it's individual per cylinder. Whereas a V8, if you look at the center down the middle, what you're looking at is is you're actually looking at where the metal is being shared by both sides. And because the V8 actually in its in its cube form is stronger than that of a flat six, then what you have is, is you have less mass per cylinder displacement in a V8. It's one of the most compact uh, designs. So when people turn around and say, well, that heavy lump of a V8 is going to totally destroy the handling of that Porsche. No, that's not true at all. It really isn't. And Maybe if you threw like an LQ9 block in there, but not a, not a regular aluminum right. LS block. Yeah, if you're doing full cast, you know, like the old conventional small block Chevys were definitely heavier than the 911 engines. There's no question about it. But not as bad as what you would think. Even then, we're talking about less than 100 pounds. But here's the big one. 
If you want real horsepower out of a Porsche motor, you're going to start to go on forced induction. So you're going to be doing turbos, turbos, or you're going to be doing something. Which is, of course, the default now, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A turbo engine, let's just say a 996 or a 997 turbo engine, is over 220 pounds heavier than an LS in comparable horsepower in comparable trim. Now, that's the big thing. So, in other words, now you've got yourself a a, a turbo car that really does incredibly impressive numbers, but then you've got all that weight past the rear wheels. You've got the pendulum effect. Mm -hmm. So, you'd look back at the old 930s, the single turbo 930s. Great car, by the way, just because of the fact that they they were were, known as the Widowmakers back then. That's exactly right, because they went around so quickly. Well, part of the reason why is because they had really, really heavy engines, 180 pounds heavier than an LS in comparable trim. And so when you start looking at the numbers, you start realizing, okay, wait a second. I've can, I could have no turbo lag. I could have completely total f- uh, flat torque all the way through the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I've got this nice, tight, affordable package that's in the back of my car. And we're talking just 911s. When you start factoring in, we're doing all the mid-engine cars, so the 914s, the Boxsters, mm-hmm. and the Caymans. And then we're doing front-engine cars, 944s, 928s. We're not doing Panameras yet. It's definitely there. I will eventually probably do a Cayenne. I mean, it's something that I everybody just, keeps I wonder, asking me. Do you, know? you think there's actually demand in the market for doing, like, the Cayenne? Well, maybe the Cayennes just because their early ones were not very reliable, so there's a lot of there's a lot of Cayennes kicking around with, with blown motors. That's correct. Um, and you can pick them up for so cheap. And oh, yeah. what a great SUV. It really is an awesome SUV. You can buy a relatively lightly used Cayenne Turbo for like 30, 35K. Yeah, that's correct. You know, and that and that's a good running order. That's not even a broken one. I couldn't imagine what a broken one goes for. I'm seeing them for under $10,000. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> well, and, that's a, and people don't think about it, but that chassis is actually really good for off-roading. Yeah, that's um, for sure. It's, it's really rigid. I know a company out of L.A. called Camera Car Systems, and their name explains entirely what they do. So yep. they're running a giant boom off of those. And when those cars came out, it was a completely different world for them because now they had a platform that was much more stable, as great as like a, a Tahoe is, yep. or as great as an Excursion, or even even some of the Mercedes stuff. It just was nowhere near as tight as the Porsche, and they certainly didn't handle like the Porsche. Mm-hmm. So maybe like one of those, you know, a blown out uh, Cayenne. With a with a GMV8 swap and it would be perfect for for those guys. It's on my bucket list. Yeah, definitely, no question. I think there's <laughs> actually a decent market for that. I mean, it's a very specific application in LA, but right. um, inexpensive camera car system like that. Yeah, that'd oh, be yeah. fantastic. Well, my my buddy actually works for General Motors and he shot several of the commercials that are currently running right now. He was one of the pro drivers that actually did that. That's the thing that he said is is that camera car and that rig on that on that Cayenne was just unbelievably impressive and he says that right there was a good testimonial of how good those cars are but that runs across the board i mean i'm I'm not a i'm not a porsche purist myself necessarily but i'm also the type of person that recognizes phenomenal engineering and porsche does do a lot of things exceptionally well they do and so i i mean truth be told i'm the chief driving instructor for the porsche club both in las vegas but all of the zone, which is called Zone 8, that's the southwestern corner of the United States. And I'm, in a, nas- I'm a national instructor trainer, so I train all the instructors all over the nation for PCA, Porsche Club of America, mm-hmm. so that they can turn around and do track events and things like that. And so I, I, I am a huge, huge, huge fan of Porsche in so many ways. And I didn't get shot when I took the factory tour and did the behind-the-scenes tour and mm-hmm. met with a lot of the executives and stuff like that two years ago. So there, there is respect. Across the board. It, it was, it's not like rolling into, and, and mind you, I, I own one and I love them, but like my C6, you walk into Bowling Green and you're like, 
yeah, this is about what I expected. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not an true. impressive factory. I mean, but they, they also produce a volume there that I, they probably sell more Corvettes in a year than they do 911s and Caymans and Boxers combined. Total. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Exactly. <laughs> no question. So, you know, it, it, it's a difference. I mean, and of course, Porsche, you can get everything custom down to, you know, the uh, you know the air condition the rings around the air conditioning you can match them to the color of your eyes for whatever fucking reason right <laughs> yeah, so, right exactly because you know, well Porsche and that's where they make all their money is on the is on the options well and, it, and it's fun, it's funny because the purists they're they're constantly making the argument over and over and over again they're saying well in order to be Porsche pure you've got to do everything through Porsche. Okay, Porsche themselves doesn't do everything through Porsche. Yeah. I mean, they're one of the greatest outsourcers in the world. Between Mercedes-Benz, Volkswagen, Audi, and all that sort of stuff, between Bosch and Momo and and, and Fuchs and, and on and on and on, all the different manufacturers that they put together since day one to make these great cars, it's constantly, constantly a, a Frankenstein of the assemblage of engineers that say, you know what, we may not be able to do it well ourselves, and somebody else has got it, we'll just buy it from them and let's make it. Work. Well, you can't be an expert in absolutely everything. Porsche's best thing is engines and chassis dynamics. Yeah. You know, I, I'd be surprised if even if they, you know, a lot of companies will outsource, like, the uprights and everything in all the corners just because, you know, people like Brembo can assemble that much better than they even can. Understood. You know, Brembo doesn't, you know, people don't realize, but, like, on a lot of the GM stuff, Brembo's doing the assembly and all the suspension and everything. So everybody does it. It's not just... You've got to focus on the things that you're good at and just let the other stuff go by because they're going to do it faster, they're going to cheaper, do it cheaper, and they're going to do it better. Yep, definitely. Yeah. So, so has, I mean, obviously we've seen the rise of kind of Junker 996s be the big thing over the last several years. It's our number one kit. Okay. So that is, has that fundamentally changed you guys as a company just in terms of the, the amount of business that you're doing and maybe some of the demands and refinements of the product? Well, let's put it this way. Uh, Travis, my sales manager, great guy, he's been saying this week we've been getting nothing but calls for 997s. And if we're getting calls from people wanting to convert 997s now, and that was just yesteryear was the car to have, that gives you an idea of how fundamentally it's changed and how many people are actually, we'll say, drinking the Kool-Aid for something besides the Porsche power plant. Well, the early 997s were seeing IMS failures too, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. essentially, from 1997 all the way through till 2009, every flat six that was ever built, except for, we'll say, the GT3 or the iteration of the GT3, which I won't get into any yeah, of that. Yeah, the Metzger engines were exactly. good. Exactly. Then you know. The Metzger yeah. engines, exactly. Yeah. That that was completely different. But any of the, we'll, we'll say, the somewhat Japanese and Taiwanese and Chinese designed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? Anyway, some of those engines, they didn't turn out so good. And as opposed to Porsche kind of wrapping their 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 heart and their soul around the problem and solving it for whatever reason I, as far as we can tell it just looks like they just continue to sweep it underneath the rug might have something to do with the class action lawsuits not too sure did i say that out loud too <laughs> possibly possibly and i have friends over there but I, we won't mention that yes that. yes yes so but um but yeah the 996s 997s definitely are i mean 997s will be our uh, popular car in the future for us 996s are the most popular car boxsters caymans big time we keep on getting a ton of people that are interested in doing the cayman conversions caymans have started to come down as, as far as price mm-hmm. boxsters we don't do the standard baseline boxster we use the boxster s transaxle big brakes all that sort of stuff all come into factor so when you can go get a standard boxster for two thousand dollars that's got a blown motor or something like that that's not a consideration it's the boxster s for three thousand that's right down the street that's well the one you want. that 
everything else is upgraded on the car too, so it's just a better buy because otherwise you'd spend more than than that thousand dollars to upgrade everything. It, to exactly. That spec. Yeah, you can't flip a Boxster S and I mean, sorry, a Boxster into a Boxster S or anything less than what you can just buy the Boxster S with a bad motor in it. So, it's definitely the better way to go. So. What are you looking at at this point in terms of like a time commitment to do your average LS swap into, let's start with the Boxster S? You pick the harder one. It isn't impossible by any means, but it is the harder one. The Boxster S, we're going to say, is about 100 hours. A 996 is about 80 hours. Uh, A 928 is about 45 or 50 hours. It's pretty easy. Uh, a 944 is about 60 hours. I mean, I could keep on breaking it well, down. Well, the 28 and the 44, you just end up with a bunch of extra engine bay room ultimately, right? Yeah, the, 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 48, the, the 44 is a little bit closer. Um, uh, but the 44 still has quite a bit of room up there. There's no question about it. The 928, you could just about do laps around the engine on the inside of the engine bay. It's amazing. Yeah, that those Porsche motors are gigantic. Those yeah, old, they are. Those old ones. The, and they're incredibly heavy. You look at what Porsche did putting the aluminum body parts on the front of the car just to try to shave some of the weight off of the front so the car would turn. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's I, crazy. I remember my my uh, my custom exhaust guy several, you know, probably actually better part of 10 years ago. He had a few 928s that he was building headers for, and he was just like, never again. Yeah. I'm getting these orders out the door and never, ever again. Yeah. You just can't fit anything in there. I mean, the only thing I can think of that's that comparable that I worked on was like fourth-gen F-bodies, which were miserable to work on, too. (laughs) There you go. You know, the engine bay was just so cramped, you couldn't reach anything. Yep. So, okay, so out of all those cars, is the 996 your biggest selling kit right now, or...? It is. It's most popular. Uh, it's relatively easy. It makes a phenomenal driving car. Uh, the, the finished product is, is, is it's hard to beat, especially for the money that you've got into it, the time that you invest into it, things like that. Um, it's uh, As far as do-it-yourself kids, it's very h- hard to get the customer to consider taking such a modern car that when you start peeling back the upholstery and you start looking and seeing it, it's a brand new car underneath still, mm-hmm. it's hard for them to kind of get into the whole business of, okay, you're going to need to do a little bit of cutting, a little bit of trimming, stuff like that, no welding or whatever, and then do this whole engine conversion in there. And once they start doing it, I'm telling you the compliments and the comments that we're getting from doing it, especially the finished product, is just outstanding. There's been tons of magazine articles, TV shows and stuff like oh, that yeah. where they've, they've, they've done a lot of feedback on that as well. I mean, it's tough to beat it because you get the car. It's still a 911. It's still, at the time, back at... <laughs> Hello. Airhorn. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> it's the pretty girl that just walked by. <laughs> anyway, just because of the fact that the, uh, um, the, the at the turn of the century when the 996 came out, that was Porsche's flagship as far as their, hey, we got to make this water-cooled car. It's going to be designed really well. The suspension's going to be completely redesigned. It it's was... going to be the best of the best at the time. It's not that far off of what you're getting nowadays. No, I mean, and the 991 is a, is, a, is a newer platform. But, I mean, the 997 was largely the same as the 996. Correct. Uh, it just doesn't have the melty headlights, and the interior was a lot better in the 997. No question. Absolutely. Um, and so the 996, if you want a 911, that's the car to get. You look at the previous generation, 993 or the 964s and the 911 previous to that, they're all worth three, four, five, ten times the amount of you know what the 996 is. Right. Just because of the headlights and the IMS bearing failure issues and the oil separator issues and that and head gasket issues and on and on and on well, and, and on. So you, it's the car to get. If the headlights really bother you, too... Given you're yanking the rear of the, the car apart, 
you may as well swap out the headlights too if you if they really bother you that much. I, I agree. There's actually a couple headlight conversions that are out there. I have one. I, okay, so I have a 2000 Boxster S, which is the same front end mm-hmm. as a 996. It's just my daily. It's that was out. when Porsche was worried about going out of business, so they cost a lot of corners. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is true. Yeah. And in the process of doing so, one of the things that they didn't do very well is their, we'll say their product research on the look of the car, but it takes so little to find out there in the industry stuff like these new headlights that are out there, uh, body kit type stuff. There's many companies that are out there that do different bumpers, different uh, spoilers, running boards, various different things like that, right. wings, accoutrements. And the stuff is not that expensive, especially for that generation, because most of the time when you're into the Boxsters uh, and the 996s of that uh, of that era, that stuff right there is now considered purchased or, or owned by people that aren't necessarily looking for the full-on purest end of things. They're not looking for something that's going to go to a Concorde or something like that. Well, I mean, let's just face the facts for what they are, is that most of the Porsche purists don't really dig the 996. That is true. You know? That is true. It's somewhat unfairly maligned, but I get it, too, because it is kind of the odd one out of the bunch. A little bit of body styling changes that, though. That's the thing. You could really it make it look bitchin'. It does. So, okay, so about 100 hours to get into your average swap for a 911. Yeah, 80 to 100. 80 to 100. For, we'll just say for a guy that owns tools. Okay. <laughs> and knows how to use them. Do you guys have any shops that are just, like, cranking these out at this point? or? We've got a few garages that are buying our parts and doing them, but nothing that is established enough that they're just flipping them. We're doing them here. I mean, uh, here in Las Vegas, right at our shop, we've got an assembly line of 996s. We've got one that's arriving today. Mm-hmm. We've got one that's going to be leaving here within the next two weeks. We have six total 996s and Boxsters and Caymans in our shop right now. We have a waiting list that is about six months long of people wanting to flip cars through our shop. And uh, these are for the people that don't want to buy conversion kits. Our biggest sales is conversion kits. I walked into my shipping department yesterday. I was showing a customer around that was doing an in-house tour. And I was looking there, and there's six orders of conversion kits that are there. And three out of the six orders were 996s. One of them was a Boxster, and the other one was a 928. And so it's... Uh, and there's another one in there, too, and I forgot what that was. <laughs> Didn't even do the math. <laughs> that was five it, out of six. It is what it is. <laughs> anyway, but bottom line is, is there's there's definitely a, a big surgence of the later model cars, which I dig. They're also they're a little bit easier to work on, to be honest with you, because they are a little bit more of a modular car. Uh, they are a newer car, so you're not dealing with like the old 911s and 914s that are rusted to the bone, you right. know, things like that. You're not doing restoration, and I do use that term, you know, exactly as it sounds. I, I'm going to cringe a little bit, but I'll give it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. I know, but on bump. But the bottom line is, is it is a good way to go. Now that doesn't stop us from doing a ton of 914s. We got a 914 on the lift right now. We've got an LS3 in it. It's the 480 horse. We're using the Boxster S transaxle. New thing. This is nice little ni- a nice little upgrade to the 914. We've mm-hmm. gotten rid of that piece of garbage uh, motor that was in there and that crappy-ass 901-based uh, tra- transaxle, and we're putting in the Boxster S6 speed transaxle and an LS engine into a 914. The rest of the chassis, provided it's not you know Swiss cheese rusted out or anything like that, is actually not a bad chassis. And, and what does so, that? And what does that weigh in total? Once you twenty two hundred pounds wet, twenty three hundred pounds, with a, you know, with with uh, extra goodies like stereo and things like with that. A, 480 horsepower engine. In it. Bingo. It's yeah, like strapping a motor to your ass and going for a ride. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of power in that car. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so if you want to get one of your kits, what's 
what's involved in it? Do you have different tiers? What, do you, what How are you guys actually producing all that and selling it to the customer? Best thing to do is give us a call. Yeah. Um, you know, we, you go to the website, you, you check it out, you can look at all the pricing and everything like that. We've got all the kits for all the different cars. Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory there. Prices are available on the site, so you can look at that. We do have some options. Some people want to just do the basic conversion kit, want to fab up some extra stuff, things like that. That's totally cool. We embrace that. We'll help them out with that. Yeah, That's not a, a problem I'm sure you get a fair number of people that really want to do a bunch of custom work while they're in there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, all you got to do is just look around the SEMA show, and anytime you see that, you've got people that are artists, and there's no question about it. If they want to do that, we want to we want to embrace it, so that's not a problem at all. Um, but on the flip side, if you want to do kind of like a, a full-on, you're going to buy everything all at once, we're even sourcing engines from GM Performance, and we're getting them, putting them together. So we'll like, uh, on a, a 911, we'll do a cradle-style style setup. We'll bolt up the transaxle with all the clutch components, things like that, pre-bleed this, pre-do that, torque this, torque that. In other words, everything kind of comes to you in a big, giant care package. Then it becomes so much easier to put it all just in. Just comes on a pallet and just... Pop it in. Exactly. And actually, for those guys that are looking to do the conversion, but they're going to have their local mechanic do it down the street, it's the best way to do it because then when it comes to the amount of time that they're going to try to reinvent the wheel and try to re-engineer everything because they're trying to put it together themselves, it takes that variable away. So whatever their hourly is to their mechanic, it's so much easier because it kind of comes pre-assembled, ready to go. And then they just put it up in place, and then there's no argument with their local mechanic because they say, well, these guys don't know what they're doing, and all they want to do is just charge more money. Yeah. Well, and it's a bigger job than oftentimes can be handled just by the average local mechanic. Well said. You know. Uh, you I'm get not a lot throwing them under the bus. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, you get a lot of guys that, you know, they'll do regular maintenance and they can open up the service manual and follow those directions and no yeah. problem. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of business for those kind of guys. Not everybody is ready to do an engine swap and all the little things that come up in it. Just like the, the two biggest problems that I see in automotive that like on abandoned projects are crazy engine swaps yeah or trying to turbocharge a normally aspirated car with like a mid to any any ecu from the 1990s basically okay you know you do those things and you just make your life really really goddamn hard (laughs) you know to every like kid that comes to me goes oh i want to do a turbo swap i just go just buy a supercharger kit it's easier it'll be all in the box and you'll be done yeah uh but, I mean, it sounds like you guys are making this relatively painless. So when you go, you get, mechanically, you get everything sorted out. You get your cradle, you get your transaxle and everything in there. Electronically, how does that start working out with those God, you just, you, I got to tell you you, you, you might as well be on my payroll because you're asking all the great questions. This is perfect. Chris, you do this for a living? Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've done, <laughs> I don't know, 2,500 shows or something like that at okay. this point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. By the way, good for you. Congratulations. Thank this you. is a great forum. Thanks for having me. I should have said that at the very beginning, but uh, quite frankly, this is, uh, this is cool. All right, getting down to the nitty-gritty when it comes to the electrical. Everybody's afraid of it. All right, let's just take a 996 because it is the most popular. It's the mm-hmm. easiest thing to do. You're going to... You're going to just die. When you when you consider that every single engine has oil pressure, okay, mm-hmm. and every every single engine has got water temperature that's water-cooled, of course, right. all right, and those sending units are talking to gauges on the inside of the car, what's the reason why you can't take the Porsche engine out of the way, undo the sending units, and put the sending units into the GM engine and still have the gauges work? I'm guessing it's probably just a value and a resistance difference. No, really. no, no, no. Time out. We're using the same ones. There is no difference. Oh, okay. Because we're using literally the same uh, sending units that came out of the Porsche. We're just adapting just them to go into the... or something? That's it. That's exactly right. I mean, okay. and then here's the way it even gets better. Porsche, in their infinite wisdom, did, of course, a crank position sender. GM did exactly the same thing. 
Why they were in bed together, I have no idea, but they're both 58X reluctor rings. They're 60 minus 2, so literally the crank position sender can be split so that you can send the signal to the tachometer and send the signal to the, to the uh, GM computer, have the GM computer reference it to run the engine, and the tach works, and it's perfect. It's stuff like that. That's the sort of out-of-the-box way of looking at it. People think that what we're doing is we're taking the Porsche DME either completely out of the car or we're trying to get it to marry to the GM setup. Mm -hmm. When the whole thing is all said and done, you end up with two OBD2 connectors in your car. We bury the Porsche one so that's kind of behind a kicker panel. But if you ever need to get to it in order to use it as a body control module unit, yeah. in other words, essentially to reset an airbag or to... ABS yeah, exactly. or right. seat position and all that kind of stuff. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, that sort of stuff. That's still what it's used for. Now, if you were to actually scan it, you'd see that, hey, idiot, <laughs> there's no engine in here. And you've got four pages of things that just went wrong with your Porsche. But if you go to the GM OBD2 connector, plug into that, now you're running a standalone computer. It's the GM Performance one that we typically use or whatever standalone system that's out there mm -hmm. that you decide to use. You plug into that, and it's concentrating on the engine. Where the marriage between the two happens is it happens on the analog side of things. So being an audio engineer yourself, and yeah. you understand there's no like information that's being passed. We're just touching the water, touching the oil. We're using a crank position sender. I mean, it's really simple. And so when people freak out about the electronics, it's not that way at all. It's actually very different. Yeah, I mean, so long as it's not like a bus and it's actually just passing these analog connections, those analog signals over, then yeah, it's adaptable. It's just when you when you start dealing with a data bus where that may or may not be encrypted at that point, that's when you start really having problems. Exactly. Cough, Mercedes, cough, Dodge. <laughs> you know. Uh, I mean, it's that's that's the whole problem, and that's what makes the LS such an appealing platform is that. They make it very, very accessible as far as tuning, and I don't know why other people haven't caught on to that. It seems like Ford's, you know, with the Coyote platform is really pushing that as a great motor now, yep. and they've really kind of opened up on that front as far as the ECUs and stuff like that goes. Um, didn't you guys do a Coyote swap into a car? No, there was uh, there was a company that showed up last year with a Coyote swap okay. and, a, and, a, and a Cayman. There was somebody and it was sticking out of here, and the firewall was hacked here, and this was done, and that was done. Actually, it was nicely done because it was a race car. Yeah. And so race car-wise, it's like, okay, I saw it and went, okay, I can see where they kind of did a decent job, so on and so forth. And, and I would never poo-poo anybody that would look outside the box and even consider doing something like no, that. No, it's, it's, it's a very interesting product, project at the very least. I mean, and the Coyote motor is a great, great engine. It's it's fun just because you can rev the piss out of it. Yeah. Um, but I was wondering how that was going to go, if, if you guys, if that was an experiment or something no. on your behalf, because I'm like, I don't know how you'd sell that as a kit. That seems like a lot of hacking. Here's the, here's the biggest difference. The stuff that we do um, will fit underneath the stock cover, fit uh, behind the carpet kit with the proper cover in, let's say, a mid-engine application like in a Cayman and a Boxster with a you know with the proper cover, they the the engine compartment is still maintained so that it's not as if a bunch of you know smells or anything like that get up inside the car you know with with everything all put in the properly. bulkhead's still in place nothing's on that chain it, it, exactly yeah. it's stuff like yeah. that in other words the modifications that go into it, it is not such that you're going to be hacking apart the car and you're going to be constantly reminded you're driving a kit car or you know the chevy powered lump or something like that it's very different where a lot of guys 
get into these cars and think, oh, wow, they've got the shit and they want to do this and they want to do that, is, is they just really start hacking apart the car and shoving whatever they can in there. It actually makes makes it look really cool and it's really impressive when you got blowers sticking out of hoods and things like that or whatever. That's great, but that's not really our style. We have set up and designed our kits so that we can run twin turbos. So if you wanted to actually do something like that in the 996s, in the Boxsters, in the Caymans, we have made the room to be able to accommodate that. Um, if you want to do 911s twin turbos, you can do that older ones. You know, mm-hmm. that's not a problem at all. There's area alongside. We made sure that the cradles and things like that would accommodate that. But we're not necessarily going to go into this crazy blowing out the walls and so on and so forth and making it this lumpy, grumpy, whatever. The Porsche taking it to a deer hunt, you know, type routine. Yeah. You know? Well, if, if, and if that's the angle you're going for, why are you even doing that platform? There are it's easier true. things to work with if you want to do that. I mean, just go buy a C5. Right. That's yeah. exactly right. Uh, those are great track cars, too, and they're also dirt cheap. Yep. You know, and you're not doing a swap at that point. If you want to do something crazy like that, fit it in the Chevy platform. <laughs> but, I mean, if you want to <laughs> do true. the refined thing and kind of, you know, you blew out the IMS on your Porsche, and you're like, okay, well, this is, this is, I mean, an IMS swap is, it starts at like $1,200 with cheap labor. Uh, I, don't, I don't even think it's that cheap anymore. And keep yeah. in mind that there's companies out there that are making the bearings, and those are failing. You know, the, the, yeah. the companies that say, okay, there's a permanent fix. You never have to do it again. Now many of the shops that are putting in the IMS bearings are now saying, okay, you're going to pretty much have to treat this like a timing belt, except a really weak timing belt. So every 40, 50, 60,000 miles or even as little as 30,000 miles, you're going to have to change it again. Is that just a product of the cheap bearings they're using? Not at all. Actually, here's an audio engineering factoid. We think those those buddies in the industry. We think that it has to do with the harmonic or a guitar string oh, style uh, so, uh, problem. Okay. So the, the the balance shaft, we think at a certain RPM is actually picking up on harmonic and shattering the so bearing at the end. It's just vibrating it to death effectively. That's, that's correct. And we think that it's at twenty nine hundred and fifty RPM because what we've done, kind of through the we'll say the backdoor trades and stuff like that, we've been able to um, using knock sensors mic the engine so to speak in mm-hmm. a way that we're able to determine vibration and so by looking at the vibration and kind of coming up with what we think is going to be a harmonic that could potentially put the uh, balance shaft into the guitar string type factoid you know and it shatter that bearing that's what we think is actually the reason why it's doing it is it a design problem that can be fixed no I mean, you would literally have to change everything to keep that harmonic from occurring on the inside of the engine. Or you'd have to pour out the block and do a bigger bearing setup that was just, you know, maybe a little more robust. But still, it's it's just ludicrous what it would take. You're re-engineering it at that point. Right, right. So you may as well. I mean, when you start talking about that kind of money, you can get a junkyard motor for two grand. Yeah. And then what does your average kit go for? Well, you're looking at, depending on which kit, of course, you're looking at, we'll say, an investment of around five grand. That's really not bad. That's yeah, not bad. I mean, when you factor in what labor and everything costs, regardless. And yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And, and the IMS bearing failure is definitely helping a lot of people kind of come our direction. There's no question about it. But think about it. You now have an engine that you can service very easily, work on very easily, supported by the aftermarket industry, as e- equally as fuel efficient, weighs the same, has a lot more horsepower, more dependability. I could go on and on and on and on. Essentially, again, the campaign speech is... Find something that is actually wrong. And I did, Chris, I mean, you're, you're, you're brilliant. You interview a lot of people. I, I can tell you there is one, one wrong thing. I'll throw you the bone. Please do. Okay. On an air-cooled car, that would be the 914s and 911s, yeah. you lose the front trunk. Yeah. Find me another one. 
<laughs> come on, come on. Yeah, I, I can't really think of a good reason not to do it. It's true. I mean, it's, gonna, it's a lot more cost-effective. It's going to be more reliable. I mean, yeah, if you want to stay the, the purest thing, but those cars are, you know, chances are those purest cars really weren't driven that much to begin with, and they largely sat in the garage unused. Well, and i got to give it to the purist because he got to go to a Concours and see one of these absolutely beautifully restored 356s or early 911s or something like that, or, yeah. or untouched. In other words, you know, they still had the patina on it from whatever five miles that they were driven or something like that. That's great. That's a rolling art form. That's not our customer. I get it. That's not a problem. And I would never take it away from them either. I MC the L.A. Concours every single year. I, I used to be the MC down uh, the Beverly Hills Concours. Okay. Yeah, it's just not a problem. I love those cars for a different purpose. Yeah, they all have their place. So, outside of the Porsche world, right, yeah. is there anything that you're playing with or you're kind of keeping an eye on that's like, eh, maybe, maybe we might take the company there for a little experiment? Like, Already been there. Okay. Lotus well, Esprit. Oh. Everybody's done an Esprit at some point. Actually, the funny thing is, is it actually hasn't been done from what we've been able to find with an LS conversion. In other words, done in a kit form. We just recently released the LS uh, uh, conversion to the Esprits. Mm-hmm. And you've got to go with the outboard brakes. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. There's some extra stuff that you need to do. None of that is a problem. It's easily done. Parts well, are sourced. And I'd say half the Esprits I've ever seen have had a blown engine at some point. Well, or they're sitting there as laundry hampers sitting in the garage because of the fact that no one wants to drive them because you can't get replacement parts anymore. Or they were slow as molasses. And the guy down the street with the Honda blew their doors off and they finally parked the thing. It was a funny one. There was, there was an Esprit right down the street from my house probably five or six years ago in Palos Verdes and uh, this gentleman had an Esprit and it blew the engine sometime in the 80s so he threw a Grand National engine in it oh okay good which I was like that's the most unique swap I've ever heard of on that car that's great I now mean, what transaxle did he use because that's I, the other thing is the transaxles the are weak as, yeah, yeah. who the hell knows um, speaking of transaxles though how well do the Porsche transaxles hold up to that new torque curve. It's brilliant. For one thing, when you look at the Porsche transaxles from, we'll say, day one, they've always been overbuilt. That's Mm -hmm. one of the things that I absolutely love. And so when you look around shows like PIR or here at SEMA and you start looking at transaxles of choices, you're going to see mostly for OEM brands, you're going to see transaxles used primarily from Porsche. Porsche has done such a phenomenal job at at their transaxles. They just don't have any issues. So a 996, we've got 600 horsepower through a normally aspirated 996 gearbox. Providing that someone doesn't miss a shift horribly or something like that. Or just launch it over and over. uh, Even then, I mean... Abusive stuff. the owner of CBM, uh, uh, Chris Bland, a uh, big motor builder down in uh, Southern California, had an LS7. He would do smoky burnouts in his 996 constantly up and down his parking lot over and over and over again. Never lost a tranny. He actually burned up a clutch before he actually lost a tranny. And so not to say that it's not possible to blow one of those up, but I'm sorry. There's not a transaxle or a transmission alive that you couldn't blow oh, up. No, no, no. You can always uh, add power. You can always break apart. That's exactly right. Always. Yep. I'm guessing probably the more common problem is, is, half, uh, is CVs. Uh, not so much. We've no. got a, we've got a upgraded axles. Um, we've got uh, those kits so that that handles it. There's companies that make 300M material axles all the time, IndyCar type stuff. You know things like that. That's not a problem. They're not even really that expensive. We don't even really need to use it because we haven't been losing axles. CVs, 930 CVs, which is basically we'll, we'll convert anything to a 930 CV that we possibly can, and we do that on purpose because the off-road industry everywhere has got the 930 yeah. CV. Yeah. And so you've got. 
200 companies that have got all sorts of different whiz-bang greases and, and different cages and different this and that and so on and so forth supporting that one single part. It's, it's the Dana axle of CV. Of, it, of, yeah. Very well said, yes. Of CVs. That's yeah. exactly right. So it's just absolutely everywhere. You'll probably go find five of them here in 10 minutes, right? You're right, right. So you get that. Um, how have you guys played in the with the idea of playing with PDK yet or... No, there's two reasons why. Apparently someone, they just told me yesterday, apparently there is somebody that does have a V8 uh, engine connected up to a Porsche transaxle in a late model conversion. The problem is, is the Porsche transaxles, um, when you get into the late model gearboxes, they actually take uh, information from the engine, so the Porsche engine, yeah. and so shift points and various different uh, 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 curves and and uh, you know how the the torque body is working and things like that. That all is dependent upon a lot of electronic signals. And getting into that, we cer- we certainly could. But there's such a little call for anybody wanting to get into the PDKs or any of the automatics of, of any type that we haven't really kind of done that. Now going into let's say going back into the older style transaxles like with the 928. Mm-hmm. The 928 we do automatic conversions all the time because that's going to be a a, a torque. Um, referenced transaxle, not electronically shifted. Still has a kick down button. That's about the only thing that's electronic. Oh, hydraulic. That's exactly right. Okay. And so that's really straightforward. Which will is, we eventually do it? Probably. Yeah. I would love to get a, a 996 turbo gearbox, which they're just about bulletproof, and really try to figure out all of the um, all of the electronic information, everything that it's referencing from the engine, which I know there's basically five things that it's looking at, and try to recreate that from a lot of what GM is offering. The GM computers are so incredibly advanced, yeah. there may actually be something on the, on the CAN bus that would relate, and it would actually work. This sounds like a lot of time with an oscilloscope and a logic analyzer. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot of engineering effort for a very small market. But if you do it, please invite me out. I will lo- definitely come look at it. I'll hand you the keys. Okay. <laughs> See, no, that's a generous guest. I, I enjoy having people on like you that are, oh, just come play with our stuff. Yeah, right, right. It's absolutely, I dig that. Yeah. <laughs> it's about half of them. Right. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah, it's about half, I guess. Well, I don't, I don't want to be 50%. Come on, give me better than that. <laughs> no, 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 you, okay. Yeah, but you're doing, you're doing the coolest swaps. Everybody else is like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, factory modified stuff is fun. But when you see an interesting swap like yours, that or like um, you know Ryan Turk's car with the four five eight engine in the BRZ, yeah, that stuff you just don't see all that often. That or another one that I love is when you see um, the BMW V eights and V tens shoved into uh, you know for the V eights shoved into the one series platform, yep. or the V ten shoved into the M three, yep, uh, just the unique stuff like that. And it, and it's kind of cool when you get those manufacturers like the uh, the BMW stuff. You can just literally take the cradle out and shove it in the other one. Yeah. It'd be nice if you had that level of convenience on your side. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, it's gotten better. There's no question about it. Um, the person that takes on a conversion kit uh, doesn't have to sit there and reinvent the wheel, doesn't have to pull out the welder, doesn't have to uh, do massive amounts of cutting that something, you know, just rudimentary garage tools wouldn't be able to handle. There's a little bit of trimming and cutting, and believe me, it's nothing major. Uh, the electronics are pretty straightforward, things like that. If you've got a, a, a voltometer, a test light, um, 
a, you know, a basic set of uh, uh, tools, good common sense, and the ability to pick up the phone. We're there always, constantly building these cars. We regularly walk out of the shop, take a photo of something on a, on a customer's car, and turn around and, and text it to them or email it to them or something like that so that people can see it. Uh, my staff is phenomenal about uh, um, hoping that the people that buy our conversion kits turn into ambassadors for us mm-hmm. by putting together a good conversion. And the biggest compliment that we get when people actually look at these conversions when it's all said and done they say something along the lines like, it looks like Porsche did it, or it looks like it That's was Porsche built. I, you know, I love a good modified build that you have a hard time telling what was done on it. I agree. You know, um, or, you know, like we've got this beautiful Fusca car sitting in front of us. It's gorgeous. It's, you can look at this car and look at this car and look at this car, and everything on it, you go, okay, the wheels are different, but I don't know exactly what they changed on everything else, because you're like, if the factory could have done it such and such way, yes, this is how they would have done it. I would agree. So, have you guys looked at maybe doing anything in the Audi market? Because those are famous for blowing engines, too. We went a, we went a different direction. Okay. I, we get the Audi and BMW questions all the time. And I, I personally, being more of a racer, like a little bit more of the sporty platforms. Mm-hmm. Now, this has not really been let out of the box yet. Oh, are we getting an so exclusive So, you're actually getting an exclusive okay. on this, Okay. okay? Um, I have sitting in my shop right now uh, the very, very first chassis unmodified, longitudinal, not transverse mounted, NSX LS. That is interesting, and that might be just as much heresy to some people as modifying the 911s. You know what? We've we've had the we've had all sorts of different people tell us how bad we are because we've been you know doing modified LSs. I mean, modified uh, 911s and modified Porsches for years and years and years. I'm kind of used to it, so I decided, okay, what would be another one that would piss people off? The NSX, and it happens to be one of my most favorite cars. And as opposed to sit in the motor sideways, we do it longitudinal, which was what Ayrton Senna said himself. Behind the scenes, he said, just turn the damn motor the right direction and be so much better it's funny. car. Honda couldn't figure out which way they wanted to do it with the new one either. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, it took a long time for them to figure that out. Yeah, you know? they scrapped that design like three times over. Yeah, exactly. And so we, we put it in the right way. And the, the kit is not available. We haven't completed the first car. My rule is, is before we ever release a conversion kit, we have to complete a car, put it through every single miserable experience you could possibly imagine to try to break it. We learn from that. I think it's great. And then we turn around and we hand it over to a couple of engineer buddies of mine so that they can turn around and try to break, try to break it. Right. And that, that's basically how we and, do and it. You know, when it comes to any of this stuff, obviously your first few customers are effectively beta users. Yes. You know, but it's so long as they understand that going in, that's fine because you learn your lessons from your customers. But, but you'd too. be surprised. The beta users, it, it, everybody says, okay, yeah. And have we made changes? I'll be the first one to admit it. Yep. But the funny thing is, is that's already version number three when they get the first one yeah. because generally we build the first one we try to tear it apart and break it and so on and so forth but that's all built out of prototype parts then we build the second one out of the first run of production parts and we do exactly the same thing over again so essentially we're building two cars we end up using the same car most of the time so we're doing the first one as a prototype and then tearing everything out starting over taking the production parts and putting it in place of the of the now the 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 you know, prototype parts that were there before. So it ends up being the same car in a lot of cases. But that's two versions before the customers get it. And they get the production parts off of the first run.
front. Have we made little small changes? Yeah. But i got to tell you, one of the kits that we haven't made any changes, with an exception of one very, very small one, was the 996 kit. We spent 80 grand, developed that conversion kit, um, turned around, did all the testing and stuff like that. There's videos out there, so on and so forth. It turned out to be such a great kit. We only made one teeny-weeny tiny change. Boxster, same thing. One teeny-weeny tiny change. And it's that, that's it. That's all we've done. Well, as small-scale manufacturers, you're always learning a little bit and going, okay, if I bend this three degrees to the left, it'll be that much easier. True. Yeah. And our customers, I always turn around and say they're brilliant. For me, for them to turn around and look outside of the box and say, hey, why didn't you guys consider this? Or, hey, I modified this and it worked a little bit better for that. I take feedback from my customers, and I think that's phenomenal as well. For manufacturers to not take feedback, that, that's they're missing the boat. They're missing a massive amount of logic pool that's out there of people that are using your product and giving you feedback. And so I love to hear from them. And well, that goes back to where we started. Of you can't know everything, so you got to focus on the things that you're good on. That's correct. So where can everybody find you guys? Well, it's www.renegadehybrids because the virtual place, you know, where everybody seems to go first would be uh, the, the easiest place to find us. Yep. So renegadehybrids.com, uh, 702-739. I'm sorry, I'm going to get it right. Make sure everybody gets it down. 702-739-8011 is our number. Las Vegas, Nevada. We're 4640 South Valley View Boulevard, unit letter D&E, right smack in the middle of the building here in Las Vegas. Uh, and uh, we'd love to have people come by. We'd love to have people come on through the shop and uh, take a look. And uh, PK the cat, the Walmart greeter of the automotive industry, will be standing there waiting for you. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do is before SEMA next year, we'll uh, we'll get you on via Skype, and we'll have a quick little promo, and that way we can hopefully get some people out through an open house or something for you guys so we get you a little more foot traffic during SEMA. I would dig that. That would be great, Chris. Okay, Thank that you. would be great, Scott. I really appreciate you coming out and doing the show. My pleasure. And uh, once again, Renegade Hybrids, everybody, and thank you to Magnaflow for providing the stage uh and you know what i'm a little upset with borla that's what all that noise is in the background <laughs> so buy magnaflow don't buy borla <laughs> i got a bunch of friends out here in the audience saying hi too so yeah definitely magnaflow thank you guys very very much take care all right Chris. and that's the first, the first universe for sema 2017 <laughs>